Blog Talk Radio. Hello and welcome to Leading Edge Love Radio. This is your host, Sumati Sparks, the Open Relationship Coach. Have you ever wondered how well-suited you are for ethical non-monogamy? Well, you can find out by taking my quiz. And you can find the quiz right on the homepage of my website, sumatisparks.com. That's S as in Sam, U, M as in Mary, A, T as in Tom, I, and Sparks as in Sparks Are Flying. And when you request my quiz, you'll be automatically added to my mailing list and you'll be the first to learn about my virtual events and to receive occasional helpful tidbits of advice and information to add more love, passion, and joy into your life. So today I'm really excited to have as my guest Genevieve Ibarra. Genevieve is a transformational embodiment and relationship mentor. She specializes in helping women to be their authentic self, heal relational trauma and self-worth, and have healthy, loving relationships. Welcome to the show, Genevieve. Hi, thank you so much. Nice to be here. So glad you're here. Um, So I have known you for a few years, um, kind of like just in the same worlds and in the same communities, and um, we both found ourselves on Maui, so it's been nice to see you on the beach from time to time and and see your beautiful <laughs> yeah. embodiment. It's just I, I see you as a very embodied person, and um, how does one co- become an embodiment coach? Like, Tell us a little bit about your story and how you got to be where you are today. Hmm. Hmm. Wow, that's a great question. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. I have done um, so many things um, in the world of coaching and mental health and embodiment, and it's really one of my favorite things in the world. Embodiment. It's such a huge. Uh, there's such a plethora of information, ways of embodiment that exist anymore. Um, I don't know if uh, you were familiar with, they had an embodiment conference um, at the end of last year, and that was that was just no. magnificent. You know, it, yeah, wow. everyone was just, you know, talking about that they can't believe that embodiment has become so, it's kind of a buzzword right now. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But how did I get into embodiment? I'm really I I started a I d- long I time I ago. Wanna, sorry to interrupt you. I definitely want to dig into the term embodiment and how that shows up in your work and what we can learn from it. Um, definitely, we're going to have lots of time for that. So let's just start with like your personal story. And so I know that that's what you're on to. I just wanted to reassure you that we're going to dig deeply into the word embodiment. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. So for me, you know, all of my work um, over the past four years has really been about um, relationships and sensuality and sexuality. And anyone who is in the um, mentor coaching world, they tend to be doing and working with people in something that was their challenge in their life. Um, I had, I had certain teachers say that your mess is your message. (laughs) Mm, And and so I, yeah. 
So I think that that's a really good indicator of, um, you know, actually how, how most people end up doing coaching or therapy is, you know, whatever their challenge was, um, they end up doing that work in the world. And for me, I really, uh, believe it or not, did have challenges in, in relationships, in my um, partnerships, intimate relationships. And, you know, it stems from, um, you know, love relationship, but also intimacy. Um, and I think it came from, I mean, I know it came from, you know, my upbringing, which, you know, a lot of our challenges in life do come from childhood challenges or, you know, some, some adulthood challenges. But for me, it, yeah, it was about um, my, my mom, you know, always was telling me to cover myself and not, she didn't allow me to have boyfriends. I did, I felt like I didn't have a kind of a normal upbringing for, for a teenager. And I felt really closed and shut down. Um, mm. Yeah. Yeah. That was, it was, it was a, a challenging experience to constantly have your mother be kind of an eagle eye and, and telling you to watch yourself and cover yourself and not to do certain things because of, of your body. So I was there, um, you know, it's just like a lot of um, sexual prudishness or was there a cultural thing or was there religion involved or all of the above? <laughs> yeah, it was, it was definitely cultural. You know, I'm, I'm Latina and uh, most of my family on both sides, they're, you know, married and have kids at a young age. And I think I'm the only person on both sides of my family that's gone and done and had the life that I've had. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. So they had this whole script for you that you were to stay covered and not have boyfriends and kind of deny the existence of your beautiful feminine form, huh? Yeah, yeah. Unfortunately, that's how it went down. <laughs> mm, that sounds painful. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So then from there... Continue. Yeah. Oh, so, yeah. <laughs> so because, yeah... <laughs> Because of um, of that, I just I really um, I remember having people uh, and relationships um, of you know guys that I was interested in that would you know way back in the day they would ask you to go out with you, and I was so shy and closed down as much as I really did like the person, I said no. And that happened to me mm-hmm. a few times. And um, in my first relationship that I did have, um, you know, it, I, was, I, was, I was very, I didn't know how to be in relationship. I, I had no idea how to be in relationship because I was something that I didn't look at. I didn't know how to. Um, and, and so that was my work was just learning everything and anything that I could get my hands on in, in terms of relationship. And I ended up um, in school for, um, for therapy, for my master's in psychology. Mm-hmm. And I learned a lot about 
relationships and, you know, trauma. And, and then after doing my, my master's, um, I, I got it in Colorado and I moved to back to California where I'm from and it didn't match up in California, the degree. And so I decided to do coaching and I went and got a coaching certificate and really this whole time I was learning about relationships and uh, love and sensuality and studied with different teachers in the Bay and I started to do coaching and um, this whole time, however, I was teaching yoga and meditation and that was really my first coming into embodiment was through the, the yogic and tantra arts. And I love, absolutely love yoga. It's such a, a wonderful way of embodiment, but it's more of a masculine form of embodiment. And mm-hmm. um, the type of embodiment now that I do is more uh, free-flowing. It's more feminine. And, yes, I think just for my whole, my whole life existence, really, for me, moving and coming into this awareness and presence has been an important theme of my life. Mm-hmm. Beautiful. So your mm-hmm. coaching just kind of evolved more into bringing the relationship and, and stuff into the embodiment. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It, I mean, it's such an important piece of, of relationship with self and relationship with with others embodiment. Mm-hmm. So just mm-hmm. to, to get to know you a little bit, um, as much as you're willing to share, like what's one or two of the biggest lessons you learned, like the messes that you made in your past relationships that where you found a message in them. <laughs> so like what were some of the, the, the most painful lessons that you had to learn from your past relationships? Wow, that's a really deep question <laughs> to share. <laughs> the answer to that's a really uh, let me think about what I really feel like sharing. Um, mm-hmm. mm, yeah, I mean, I can I can say that, and it happens with you know so many people, um, but uh, myself included is that you get into, that I've gotten into relationships for all of the wrong reasons. Uh And that has a huge cost, you know, um, Uh to being in partnership with someone. Um, You know, people do it for knowingly. People knowingly sometimes know that they're in a relationship for, for whatever they're in it for. And sometimes unknowingly people go into relationships and they learn what they need to learn. But I think that for me, one of my, my big things is, um, yeah, being in relationships for the wrong reason. Well, what are some of the wrong reasons that people choose a relationship? And then what are some better reasons? I, well, I can say, you know, for, for myself, one of my reasons, you know, and it all goes back to, uh, you know, the childhood wounding that we had. Mm-hmm. But for me, it was abandonment. Mm-hmm. And 
um, and I was, you know, my my dad was MIA, and and in my adulthood, um, well, you know, younger uh, adolescent, I would say my brother and I were kind of estranged. He lived far away from me, and I lived. Um, he went to live with our grandfather, and I, I stayed with my mom. But so really, like any, you know boy man figure was absent in my life and so abandonment is one of the huge core wounds that people have um so if you life. have that core wound if you have that core wound of abandonment which so many of us do then that drives you to choose a relationship because why because you think that person will never leave you or what choice do you make if you have that wounding well, well, for me, you know, and, and it and it really, um, you know, core wounds play out differently for different mm-hmm. people. Um, mm-hmm. But for me, it was, you know, when I when I had the, um, um, when someone showed me love and interest in a big way, that felt good to me. And mm-hmm. so because I had the abandonment wound and I, you know, I didn't want to be left alone, then when someone mm-hmm. would show me love and care, I went with it, whether or not mm-hmm. I really liked the person or not. I mean, I don't want to say it in that term necessarily, but it was something that fulfilled that wound. Um, and ultimately, right. yes, the people that I did um, end up with were ab- actually absent uh, in the relationship themselves. Mm-hmm. So you mm-hmm. just kind of duplicated what you had in childhood, ultimately, somebody who wasn't really mm-hmm. present. Yeah, mm-hmm. I think we, we do that a lot. Yeah, for me, I my abandonment shows up more as feeling unwanted. That's like the word that resonates more with me. I can easily feel unwanted. And so, yeah, I can also be susceptible to somebody that shows me love in a big way because it's like, oh, they, I'm like, I become Sally Field. They want me. They really, really want me. <laughs> and so then I, I, I kind of like don't see the red flags and then I end up staying in the relationship too long because I'm afraid of being alone. So yeah. I can imagine that would be a common thing. I, I can imagine that people also choose relationships for the wrong reason because they are um, just super sexually attracted to the person and then we get that kind of flood of hormones and chemicals and then we don't notice that the person's a jerk because we're so turned on by them or they're a narcissist or something. And I know that happens with a lot of women um, where we're like, I know he's a jerk, but he's so hot in bed. <laughs> And then, you know, six months later, we're like, what the hell was I thinking? (laughs) Um, So what what wounding does that come from, do you think? Because that's so common. Um, The, uh, he's so hot, I don't care. Yeah, like how we, we like think with our hormones instead of with our brain. Is that just the human condition or... Do, do uh, people with healthy childhoods also do that, or do you know? Um, yeah, I mean, I think that, you know, it's it's all the above of what you just said. And, I, you know, I think that people ultimately 
um, in a certain point in their life are a lot more conscious of, you know, what they are doing. And, um, you know, like women that I work with, I, I mean, that's the question that I ask them often. You know, it's like, well, if you get involved with this person, you know, how is that going to affect you? Are you, are you ready for, you know, possible rejection? Um, uh-huh. So, um, yeah, I mean, it, I think that, um, I think, yeah, it's just a natural condition of, you know, I'm just going to, this person's so hot, I don't care. I'm going to be, you know, so passionate and like, oh, just let my whole feminine side come out. And then there's people who are like, oh, they wouldn't even. Because I know, I know some people who, you know, some women that I've worked with who don't, they just would not want to um, even participate in someone who is good looking. Like a, some beautiful, mm-hmm. amazing person, they just wouldn't even go there. Right. So it goes both. Mm-hmm. It goes both ways. But I do think it's just our, you know, our human condition to, you know, our animalistic side. Right. So yeah, when we get into your work, I want to talk about that some more about how healthy embodiment can help us make these better choices. Because um, I know that you don't practice. Um, polyamory yourself but I know you work with people who do and um, I think that shows up a lot when we choose partners not only whether we choose someone who's also if we're poly you know if we're non-monogamous that we also choose a partner who is or for for monogamous so we want to choose a monogamous partner um, but also what what kind of openness because there's such a wide range of ways to be non-monogamous. Um, even people that call themselves monogamish, like they, they may not have physical contact with anybody other than their partner, but they still may allow flirting or voyeurism or, you know, going to play parties and just staying together. So there's like all kinds of gradations of how you can be on that spectrum of monogamy versus non-monogamy. And so I think how we choose our partner depends a lot on knowing ourselves and knowing how, how we want to practice the, our relationship style and then finding somebody who's kind of close enough in that range. And I think there's a lot of mistakes that get made, you know, where people end up falling in love with someone who's monogamous when they know they're not and they feel like they just can't help it because love just strikes them and they... They can't control it. And similarly, someone who knows they're monogamous and they fall in love with a polyamorous person and then there's just nothing but heartache ahead because it just doesn't work for them. So, so let's, let's get a little bit into this embodiment thing and, and see how it can actually help us make healthier choices and not be kind of controlled by our hormones or controlled by our, um, our old patterns or our, our childhood wounds. So, so tell us a little bit about what embodiment means to you. Yeah. Um, so embodiment, to me, uh, encompasses uh, a lot, and in that realm is uh, erotic intelligence. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And embodiment, to me, is erotic intelligence, and in the whole idea of erotic intelligence, you know, it's, it's a sensual intelligence. And um, so the sensual intelligence, you know, is about our sensuous nature. 
and the access to that lot, that feeling of aliveness. And so sensual intelligence is, is kind of a lost intelligence, I would say, because we're mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. much in our heads. So sensual mm-hmm. intelligence is one of uh, one aspect of erotic intelligence. And there's also emotional intelligence and, um, I'll just name them all. So emotional intelligence, there's body attunement, radical self-love, and social intelligence, and our creative imagination. <laughs> mm. So that, to me, all of that is, is erotic intelligence. And that makes up what embodiment is, which it's kind of a lot. <laughs> it's a lot. <laughs> What was the thing that you but said like right said, before creative right before creative imagination? What was the thing you said right before that? Is social intelligence. Social intelligence. So that's also part of embodiment. Interesting. Okay, go ahead. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I mean that 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 was really it. I kind of gave the um all of the the parts to me of what embodiment is and uh, you know, ultimately, uh, it, it's a way to heal ourselves and the collective. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's a tool to, to um, on our path towards self-actualization, right? Mm-hmm. It's a self-actualization is the fulfillment of our, of our, of our talents and our, and our potential, and so it's a it's a way to to it's a tool for accessing that and and it's you know ultimately it really is about radical 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 one hundred and fifty percent presence and awareness of the seen and the unseen mm. presence and awareness of the seen and the unseen that's good to stew on that for a while. <laughs> What's an example of the unseen that you would be aware of? Mm, the example of the unseen is is all the forces, all of the forces that are at work that we don't see. For example, right, God, Spirit. Mm-hmm. That is that's the unseen. All that is not seen. Mm-hmm. Mostly spirit, yeah. So really tapping in on that deep of a level to be and to have that connection, right, with the divine. Mm-hmm. Well, I guess also eros is kind of an unseen thing. Can you talk a little bit about, you know, you go by the moniker embodied eros on Instagram. What does eros mean to you? Yeah, yeah, Eros, exactly. So Eros is definitely is an unseen force. And, you know, most people, when they, when they hear Eros, um, they think of the Greek god um, and that represents love. Um, but Eros is, it is love, passion, and desire. And to me, and 
some of the teachers that I've learned from, Eros is, it's a river of that love, passion, desire that flows through each and every one of us, right? It's that river of love and passion and desire that flows through us. And ultimately, somewhere, um, that river gets stuck and stagnant. Mm. And, and that is the part that I like to, to work with in people is where is your arrows? Where is that river of your love and the energy and desire? Where is it stuck? Mm-hmm. And so usually it gets stuck because of our traumas in our childhood. Yeah, well, you know, there's there's childhood trauma and then there's the adult adulthood trauma too. But yeah, ultimately, uh, somewhere along the way, something along has happened, and it just, you know, well, we need to. The river starts flowing that way when it wants to go this way, but it's taking you on this other course, or it's just completely, completely not moving, stagnant. Yeah. Do you think that we're born with that river, even though we don't, we're, we're not erotically mature yet? Do you think that we're born with that energy? I definitely think we're born with it, you know, as babies especially, <laughs> right? Or just mm-hmm. we have so much joy, and we are. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I'm sure we're familiar with just, you know, teachers that say this, that we are um, – we are we are happy. We are joy and happiness embodied, and then life happens, and slowly by slowly, it starts being shrouded over with our experiences. So I definitely mm-hmm. think that we're born with with this love and desire and passion within us, and happiness mm-hmm. and joy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Cool. And this is a bigger question, but I'm sure that there are huge societal and cultural factors. You you touched a little bit on your own family's cultural influence, but why do you think we all need to relearn embodiment, like in our culture, in our society, in our world? Because when I think of like indigenous people, I, I imagine them as being so much more embodied. They're usually living closer to the earth and using the plants and, you know, they're not usually overweight, you know, because they're using their body and they're in shape. And and then as we get away from that indigenous life, it seems like we lose touch with our body. Can you speak to that a little bit? Yeah, yeah, I exactly. I think that um, it's, it is key factor to our society and I think that the the loss of being you know embodied so disembodied I think that as a culture we have become so disembodied that that it is one of the challenges that I uh, that I think that we face right now is so when if we're disembodied we're just roaming around in the world um, coming from our mind, right? Coming from our brain, our mind, and and the body is the thing that ex- 
experiences this life. Mm. The brain is the thing that that likes to have control, <laughs> but it is mm-hmm. the body that ultimately tells us, you know, when there is a danger. It's what sends the signal to the brain. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, so I just, I think that, um, you know, in, in, in this day and age, too, people are, they are, are not, there's no emotional intelligence at all, right? And for me, um, part of embodiment is emotional intelligence. And I think, you know, for the millennials especially, um, the, the emotional intelligence is very low. Mm-hmm. They, we, you know, we have this, this um, and also the social intelligence is mm-hmm. um, is is low. It's like everything is, you know, especially with now COVID, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> but right. Um, but we have, you know, the information age, and everyone's on their computers and texts and things like this, and and we can so easily um, edit our response. There's no real vulnerability that that's there because like, oh, oh, I don't want to say that I can say this instead. Or, um, mm-hmm. yeah, I just, I think that the emotional intelligence um, and the social intelligence has gone real, really down and, and sensual, sensual intelligence as well, depending mm-hmm. on where you live. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, ultimately, embodiment will help us um, to be more feeling people, right? To have more presence, more feeling, be more in tune with ourselves and what we're really feeling, what's really happening on the inside, not what the brain mm-hmm. is saying. Um, so I think that, yeah, that, that disembodiment is what's happening right now. And I think more and more people need to come back to this idea of erotic intelligence and to this idea of, of being embodied beings. Mm-hmm. Beautiful. Thank you. If you're just joining us, you're listening to Leading Edge Love Radio. And this is your host, Sumati Sparks, the open relationship coach at sumatisparks.com. We're speaking with Genevieve Ibarra. She is an embodiment coach and um, helps people heal um, their relational traumas and become more alive in their bodies. I'm really happy to have you here with us today. And if you'd like to ask Genevieve any questions, please feel free to call in. The number is 657-383-1132. You won't interrupt us. You'll be put on hold automatically, and we'll just grab you when there's an opening. So again, that number is 657-383-1132. So um, let's talk now about how embodiment benefits us. And I think your basically your mission in life creates, um, I don't have it in front of me and you know better than I do, um, but uh, you know, just create like happier, I'm opening up your mission right now, to help women um, open to more creativity, more love, more pleasure, 
more joy, happiness, and vitality. So yes, we all want that in our life. And I'm imagining that that also is, is exactly what makes us more attractive to um, have wonderful relationships as well. So let's talk now about how these embodiment practices bring that for us. I want to first start by asking you, what does it mean when you say being in our authentic self? Hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so uh, our ultimately, yes, I, I want everybody, um, you know, but most of my work is with women, but I want everyone to be able to be their true self. And that mm-hmm. is when a person is living by and expressing their real feelings and their deepest desires. Okay. And in, in contrast to our false self, which is when a person represses their feelings and when they change their behavior or they push aside their needs in order to be liked. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that, so, that was another one that, packed, that really packed a punch. When you're being your authentic self, you're expressing your real feelings and your deepest desires. I mean, that's not something to be glossed over because that actually is really hard to do in practice because it's so vulnerable to express your real feelings and your deepest desires. Both of these th- those things are incredibly vulnerable. Um, I don't usually feel safe doing that unless I know that the person is not going to use it against me or hurt me. Mm-hmm. So I guess it, t- so yeah, how do we create like safe relationships so that we can be our authentic self. Let's let's go into talking about that. How does how do these embodiment practices help us have better relationships? Um, yeah. So um, yeah. So the way that that I work with someone in using embodiment is. So say, for example, right, that someone has some desires and they feel that they're not able to express their, their desires, right, to, to their partner. Um, so what I do is I take this idea of their desire and I take them on an embodied journey. So the idea and the foundation of my work is um, that there are subtle nuances and answers that are lying within the body that stay suppressed because of the layers of and layers upon layers of not tuning in to what is present in the body and from uh, the mind and whatever goes on there, um, having the strongholds. And so I would take someone on an embodied journey and I would guide them 
and ask them questions and have their body move in ways that it, it, it's letting the body speak. Mm-hmm. So it, it's really experiential and kind of hard to explain, but in the, the journey that I would take somebody on, I would be asking them questions and asking their, themselves and their body to move. Mm-hmm. And then how does that feel? What, is that, what emotion arises from that? What mm-hmm. sensation does that bring up for you? as they're moving and they are also responding back. So it's a two way um, process of going deeper into the underlying layers of what really is present. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of, it's, it's, yeah. it's very, um, it's very kind of um, uh, out there, I suppose, uh, but in an experiential way, um, I don't know if that made sense. Does that make sense? No, it to- yeah, absolutely. I mean, it reminds me of when I went through a massage school back in like the 90s, <laughs> a long time ago. <laughs> but we were doing um, what the teacher called transformational body work was one of the modalities we were learning, and that was where you, you know, you really go into those tight parts of the body where sometimes your client will say, oh, no, that hurts. But when you get their consent, a little bit of pain is okay because on the other side of that physical pain is some unresolved emotional pain. So we were just using massage, but you're using movement and awareness to tune into those same parts of the body that have like stored traumas and stored messages. Is that on the right yeah. track? Mm-hmm. Yes, mm-hmm. definitely. And and the thing, the beautiful thing is, is you know a lot of times. My clients, um, and and this is the part of, of it's, it's called depth depth psychology, and and part of, and, and it is it's unveiling that which we don't know, because mm-hmm. if you are in talk therapy and you ask someone, you know it's just like oh yeah they're going to tell you what they know, <laughs> mm-hmm. and and of course you know someone who you know. Um, a coach or therapist who is trained in asking the right questions can help uh, reveal, help them to see things that they that they wouldn't necessarily see themselves. But this is just a, a different, more creative way, um, and also another way in which um, even myself, or you know, someone who is a trained therapist and coach, could not uncover um, because it's within that person. And it wouldn't be uncovered unless otherwise, you know, guided in this mm-hmm. in this journey. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't want to knock therapists because I I think it's a great field, um, but I find that some of the therapy falls short. Like you said, when you're just talking and you're just relying on the client to verbally reveal what's going on. You know, I did that for years and years, but my core trauma had to do with my birth experience. It was a very traumatic birth for my mother and me. And then I was thrown into an incubator, which was common back in the 1960s, but that doesn't mean it was any less traumatic just because it was common. (laughs) Um, 
to be, you know, put in this incubator under fluorescent lights with nobody touching you right when you're born, um, mm. I think mm-hmm. there's probably an, an entire cadre of incubator babies that have abandonment issues, you know, like that just is <laughs> obvious. <laughs> and that's never going to come out just from me talking because it happened before I even had words. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So how how do you deal mm-hmm. with that kind of like early trauma that's in the body that sometimes you don't even know about yet? Do your clients have like an experience that they don't have words for sometimes? Yeah. Um, yeah. That's that's the the creative imaginative creative imagination part. Oh, um, you yeah. know, it's like when when you are in the space, anything, anything goes. And you know, it, and with trauma, uh, you know, there's there's a, a need depending on the trauma and the extent of the trauma. But there there's a point where it may have um, whatever event happened. It may have the person may have been stopped their process with the trauma and not allowing it to to exit the body, and so what they need is to be able to continue and continue and let that trauma exit the body, and we can imagine a different outcome. Mm-hmm. Like we can imagine whatever we want, and we don't know the difference between something that's imagined or real. Like that's mm-hmm. that's uh, the body's intelligence. Mm. And for you, you know, it's like you're you're not going to have the words necessarily to remember this because it was pretty painful. <laughs> Uh, Genevieve, I'm sorry, your your connection is starting to get a little bit choppy. Oh, can you hear me? Yeah, I don't know if there was some position you moved to, but it just got a little choppy there for a minute. It seems fine now. Okay. Um, I'm not sure where we got um, cut off, but I was saying just that... Just like 30 uh, seconds is all. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but I, I was I was um, saying that for you, you know, um, what happened to you, as you were saying, is you were a baby just being born and put in an incubator. And so for you to, you know, this was very traumatic for somatically for your body, and you, there's mm-hmm. probably no words for you to, mm-hmm. to, you know, describe this or to somehow go into this feeling state, but the body doesn't know the difference between something that's imagined and something that's real. Hmm. So in doing uh, an embodiment practice that I take people on, uh, I can, you know, you can guide them into any, any state really just they themselves can bring themselves to whatever imaginative state they want to be in and let their body speak Hmm. Did you so go very, away? It's very healing. No, I'm sorry. I'm. It's okay. called. Uh, no, no. I, I. I can hear you again. <laughs> Ma- Maui living. 
Yes, exactly. <laughs> in the jungle. I'm in the jungle. <laughs> you are, right. <laughs> so so this is really interesting. So, yeah, I, I'm thinking, like, when we make up a story, like, let's say that, um, you know, a relationship ends and we have a story about why it ended, like, let's just say, for example, it has something to do with me. Like, I wasn't enough in some way you know my relationship ended because I wasn't um helpful enough or whatever and then I find out later that that wasn't even true but like for however long it could be years I was living with that belief that my relationship ended because I wasn't helpful enough and then I find out that wasn't true but I had been living as if that was true all that time so to me, that makes that makes sense. What you're saying about how we can imagine something to be true when it's not even true. So that means that we should be able to imagine things that aren't true and find a way to believe those if it means that it will make us feel better and happier. Is that making sense? <laughs> I, I followed it. Um, yeah. Um, and that, that's a little bit, um, you know, what, that's a little bit along the lines of what I'm saying. Yeah. Um, uh-huh. yeah, but I mean, ultimately the, the, we, this comes back to the creative imagination as a part of embodiment. Mm-hmm. Um, uh-huh. and that's, mm-hmm. it's just another aspect, um, of utilizing embodiment that's really important. Because it can, right. you know, as whether whether we follow each other's thread the complete way, I think it was something along those lines. Yes. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I want to mm-hmm. talk about a, another big. This is a big thing for me is body image. Um, I don't know if it was just having kind of a functional anorexic mother and or growing up in L.A. where everything was about how skinny and tan and blonde you were. <laughs> Um, but, you know, just this, this lifetime of like body dysmorphia, like thinking that something's wrong with my body when nobody else does. Um, can you talk about how I'm sure I'm not the only one who has that issue and you've probably worked with a lot of people, a lot of women who have these body image issues who feel like there's something wrong with our bodies. How do you use Mm -hmm. embodiment work to heal that kind of stuff? Mm -hmm. Yeah, let me think about this. Um, mm. Yeah, um, how do I use embodiment for that? So, I mean, ultimately, um, you know, what we, I mean, when you say that, my first thought is I wouldn't uh, initially start doing embodiment work with someone um, I would first, um, uh, I guess, have, I mean, I would have uh, that person create kind of an alternate um, identity for themselves mm. because they're identifying, them, they're identifying themselves as, you know, that this person that they don't like this body and all that along that goes with that. And so I would have do some work on creating this alternate identity and then talk about that 
what that is mm. for a person and what that looks like, and and then and then bring eventually over you know some sessions that person more and more into embodying that alternative identity, which is actually them. Mm. Well, I've never heard that approach before. That's really powerful. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so there's that creative imagination piece again. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, because you so know, we don't I went to around the world. <laughs> yeah, Sorry, I went to High Human Awareness Institute. High. I did a bunch of High mm-hmm. workshops, and it was all about just look, looking in the mirror and telling yourself you're beautiful and loving yourself, and it just never worked for me. <laughs> I was just I try to do it, and it just didn't get anywhere. So I like this idea of, like, creating an alternate identity, which comes from our own psyche, so it is part of us, and mm-hmm. then slowly, gradually stepping into that. That's really beautiful. Thank you for that. Wow. Mm-hmm. Um, and so another thing that you said on your website that really struck my attention was you, you used the phrase, inviting out your truth, wisdom, and power, like inviting it out. So can you talk a little bit about why you chose that phrasing, inviting out your truth, wisdom, and power? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so always, always, always there's the invitation. And it, it's such an important word because it's like, you know, any anybody does nobody likes to be told you know what to do (laughs) um but that slow inviting of of the questions right of um digging deeper and in time when the person feels ready feels safe and all of that it's the invitation to to do and to to be that allows somebody to to be more open and receptive to whatever it is that you're you're you know guiding them towards the invitation mhm 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 and so it's it's inviting i'm imagining inviting out means inviting those qualities to come out and play, to come out into the world. Like we talked about earlier, expressing your real feelings and your deepest desires, that that, that is your power, I'm imagining, right? That, that that you're being in touch with your true feelings and desires is your power. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, you know, part of, part of the, the embodiment work is... Um, you know, is is being expressive, and and there's parts of us that that aren't fully expressive, and mm-hmm. so you know each time it's like, can are you able to express that part of you just a little bit more? Right? It's that it's that drawing out. It's the invitation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, beautiful. I love that. So with the little bit of time we have left, I'm going to bring up a big topic. <laughs> we'll just have to find a way to <laughs> summarize it. So you had a page on your website about the jade egg practice 
and having a healthy yoni. And so for those that don't aren't familiar with that term yoni, it's a um like a Sanskrit term for the female vulva or the genital area. So um we all want to have healthy yonis and especially postmenopausal people like me are always looking for ways to keep it vibrant. So um can you give us just a brief explanation of how you help people stay healthy in their yoni and um if the jade egg is part of that then expound on that a little bit. Yeah. Mhm. So yes, definitely um jade egg is the wonder tool and that is a part of, you know, I, I work with people in, in so many different ways. And as you know, Sumi, being in, the, in this world, just that um, when we have so many things, that, so many ways that we can help someone, it's really hard to just hone in one thing. But um, doing a jade egg, having a jade egg practice is definitely something that I work with people on. And the, the jade egg has been used for years, right, way back, way back, way back, centuries, centuries ago, started in Chinese um, with the the um, empresses using it for stimulating their sexuality. And uh-huh. using jade egg really is, especially for those of us that are getting uh, into you know, uh, menopause, postmenopause, or perimenopause um, phases in our life, um, you know, our sexuality changes, our sex drive changes, the vaginal muscle change, and by, first of all, most, I mean, jade egg, for those who don't know, is, I mean, there's other stones that you can use as well, but jade is um, one, it's a very strong um stone and not so porous and so that's why it's good to use it and so you insert it in the vagina and you use certain exercises to strengthen the muscles in the vaginal wall Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. but it you know if you if you have a tendency to um some some people it's not good to, to use dating because they have already tight, uh, like stressed vagina. So depending, because uh-huh. for some people, like they hold there. And so using the JDIG and the way that people would use for, for t- tightening vaginal muscles would not be a good idea for them. But uh-huh. Um, uh-huh. it helps you to be more sensitive, right? Do you feel deeper into your anatomy. You can feel, and it's not necessarily for, um, you know, sexual turn-on necessarily. It helps us to be more sensitive. So it, it can and does help us to be more sensitive and prone to having vaginal orgasms if we've never had vaginal orgasms before. And... Uh-huh. It's just a wonder. It's a wonderful tool. It's a meditation tool. I help people to use it for. Um, I, I help uh, women to use it for um, getting answers. Really, it's like meditation before you insert it. You speak to it. It goes inside of the body. 
you have this connection between yourself, your heart, and your vagina. And, yeah, it, it, it really is such a sensual way of coming into yourself. And oh, beautiful, um, thank you. Yeah, yeah, it, it's a beautiful tool to use, definitely. Great, thank you. Well, this has been really wonderful, and we're already out of time. So, thank you so much for imparting all your wisdom on us today. And um, I want to give you a couple minutes to share with our listeners how they can find out more information and how to reach you, and anything else that you want to share with our listeners. Go ahead. Mm, thank you, Sumi, for having me, and it's been a pleasure. If you are interested in reaching me, you can find me through my website, which is genevieveibarra.com, and that's a long word, but um, Genevieve is J-E-N-N-E-V-I-E-V-E, and Ibarra, Y-B-A-R-R-A. So GenevieveBarra.com, and uh, all my info is on there. And I invite anybody who is interested in joining me for an embodied journey. I take, um, I do monthly embodied journeys, and they are called Rewild Body and Soul. They're the second Tuesday of the month, and um, at seven. PM to 8:30 Pacific Standard Time. And all that info is on my website. So please check it out and I would love to have you join me sometime. That sounds wonderful. Thank you so much for the invitation. And again, really appreciated having you on. It was super interesting. I got a lot out of it myself. I hope the listeners did as well. So <laughs> thank you so much, Jenny. <laughs> Thank you. Have a, have a wonderful rest of your evening, and um, I'll be seeing you soon. See you on the beach. <laughs> Bye-bye. Okay, good night. So next week on Leading Edge Love, we have another really interesting guest named Orpheus Black. Orpheus Black is a kink educator who is also uh, polyamorous. He has won awards for his uh, for the way that he practices um, the DS, also known as the dominance and submission relationship, for the way he practices that with integrity, he's won awards from his peers in his community. So he has a high level of integrity and a lot of knowledge. He's a performer. He does amazing kink scenes with fire and all kinds of cool stuff. So um, we're going to talk talk with Orpheus Black next week. So please join us at 6 p.m. Pacific time on Leading Edge Love Radio. Good night, everyone. Thanks.